Namaskaram. That was Sadhuam singing verse 21 of uh, Akshram Malai, which is the verse I'm going to be talking about today. Um, what Bhagavan says in this verse is, it's, this verse consists of two sentences. The first sentence is, Kenjiyam Vanjiyai Kunjamam Irangalai. That means, um, literally it means, uh, Arunachala, though begging, being a, a cheat, uh, not feeling even the slightest pity, which implies, uh, Arunachala, though I have been uh, begging, beseeching, or entreating you so piteously that it would melt even a stone, being uh, like a cheat or fraud or deceiver, you do not feel or show even the slightest pity for me. And then the second sentence is, uh, Anjal Andrei Arul Arunachala. Uh, um, that, that means, uh, be gracious, saying fear not, which implies at least now be gracious, uh, saying fear not. Um, the first word of the verse is Kengium. Kengi is an adverbial participle that means begging, beseeching, or entreating, with the implied connotation of doing so humbly, humbly and piteously. Uh, and when appended to an adverbial participle like this, the suffix um uh, in, means though or although. So Kengi um means though begging. And in this context implies, though I am begging, or though I have been begging. And of course, it implies begging you. Um, the next word is vanji, uh, vanjiai. Uh, vanji is a noun, but is used here in the sense of vanjakan, which means uh, a cheat, fraud, deceiver, rogue, or cunning person. And I is an adverbial participle that means being or as. So vanjiai means being a cheat or as a cheat, which in this context implies like a cheat. As Murugan explains, though the implied meaning is vanji pole, like a cheat, instead of saying that, in accordance with the rest of the clause, namely konjomom irengale, not feeling the slightest pity, Bhagavan says emphatically, Vanjiai, being a cheat, as a cheat. That is, he's directly accusing Arunachala of being a, a cheat or a rogue or a fraud, uh, a deceiver. Um, which I'll explain that uh, as I go along. Um, then the next word is Kunjum, Kunjumum. Kunjum means a little or a small amount. And in this context, the suffix um means even. So kunjumum means even a little, even the least, or even the slightest. That is, this the suffix um in uh, 
in Tamil is an extremely uh, versatile suffix, as we saw above with after, with a adverbial participle like kenji. Kenjium means uh, though begging or uh, although begging. So it can mean though when appended to a, an adverbial participle. In this context, it means even, even a little. Um, in other contexts, it can mean and. It's a, it's a usual way of saying and in Tamil. For example, the first sentence of um, verse uh, of the twelfth paragraph of Nana Bhagavan says, "Kadavalum guruvum unmail verala." That means um is appended to both kadaval, which means God, and guru, which means guru. So God and guru are in truth not different. So um can mean and. In other contexts, um can um, uh, mean it can imply universality. So, for example, uh, engu means where, engum means everywhere. Um, uh, uh, epodu means when, epodum means always. Um, ya means who, yarum means everyone. So, it, it, it had uh, so many, um, this suffix. From the context, we have to understand what it means. So in this case, with konjum, a little, it means even a little. So even a little, even the slightest, you're, you're, you're not feeling even the slightest pity for me, is what, what Bhagavan is saying. That's why he emphasizes, not even the slightest. Um, and then the next word, irangu, is a verb that means to feel pity, to condescend, or to be compassionate. And uh, ille is a negative, um, a negative uh, particle. So irangile is a negative form of irangu. Um, so it means not feeling pity or not showing compassion. Um, this is actually the main verb of the sentence. Um, but there's no, um, there's no explicit subject in this clause. And this particular negative form, whereas some uh, uh, forms of verbs in Tamil identify whether it's first person, second person, third person, um, male, female, or neuter. That's often identified by uh, the ending of a verb, a verb. But in a negative form like this, there's no subject is identified there. So, kunjumum um, iringale um, literally means uh, not feeling even the least pity. But the sub be um, because uh, because this this is Bhagavan is talking here to Arunachala. He's addressing Arunachala. So the the implied subject here is you. Therefore, kunjumam irangale, which is the main clause of this sentence, means not feeling even the slightest pity or not sh showing even the least compassion but implies you do not show even the slightest uh, pity for me, or you remained unmoved without showing even the least compassion for me. Um, that is, the, in Tamil poetry, things are said in a very compact way. So often to, to make sense of it, we have to expand it. We have to add in, um, um, in this case, we have to add in the pronouns to, to make it clear. The uh, um, kenjium simply means though begging. Who is begging? It's Bhagavan is begging. So though though I have been begging you, 
um, uh, like a cheat. You are not showing even the least slightest pity for me. So the entire sentence is Kenjiyam Bunjiai Konjomam Irangale, which means, though begging, uh, being a cheat, not feeling even the slightest pity, which implies, though I have been begging you, uh, being like a cheat, you remained unmoved without feeling or showing even the slightest pity for me. Um, to convey the full spirit and implication of Kenjiyam, though begging, in his Polyporai, uh, Polyporai means it's an explanatory paraphrase in, ta in Tamil. That is often, when explaining the meaning of a verse, it's often paraphrased in prose. The paraphrase is called a Polyporai. Um, so it, it, when Murugan wrote was writing his commentary for this uh, verse, he in his uh, explanatory paraphrase, he um, he explained this word kengium, though begging, as kalum kasinduruhu uruha yan unne evlo kengium. That that means uh, though I am begging. Uh, however much to soften and melt even a stone. That is, Bhagavan is praying so, in, in the preceding verses, Bhagavan has been praying in so many ways to Aranachala, in such a way that even a, such, in such a piteous manner he's been begging him, but even a stone would melt. Um, but Aranachala seems to remain unmoved, like a cheat, who has stolen the heart of a young girl and then abandoned her, showing no pity for her at all. So that um, Kenjiyam, as I say, though begging, it implies so begging so piteously that even a stone, it would melt even a stone. But Aranatra is so hard-hearted, or seems to be so hard-hearted, like a cheat who has stolen the heart of a young girl and then abandoned her, he, shows no, he seems to show no pity for her at all. Um, the word vanjiai, besides meaning a, a being a cheat or as a cheat, it can also be interpreted in two other ways. That is, firstly, besides being an adverbial participle that means being or as, I is also uh, the second person singular pronominal suffix. And uh, in Tamil, composite nouns are formed by adding such suffixes to adjectives, adjectival participles, and nouns. Therefore, when I, in this sense, is added to a noun, it produces a vocative or eighth case form of that noun. So, vangiai can be interpreted as addressing Aranachala as you cheat, you fraud, you deceiver, you rogue, you cunning fellow. Um, it can be interpreted in that sense. Um, this is not a usual uh, form of vocative, but in poetry, vocatives can be formed in this way by adding the second person pronominal um, uh, suffix, second person singular pronominal suffix. So um, we can interpret it, but he's not saying being a cheat, he's saying he's directly accusing Aranatra, you cheat, you fraud, you rogue. What, you, what have you done to me? He's taken this young girl, he entered her home, he took her out, brought him to her home, and now he's completely un, 
um, ignoring all her uh, piteous pleas, her piteous begging him. Such a hard-hearted fellow he is. That is the the implication. Just so Bhagavan is, we can interpret Bhangiya as being a, a direct accusation. Bhagavan is directly accusing Aranacha: "You cheat, you fraud." Um, so if we interpret it in that uh, sense, "kengiyam Bhangiya kunjumam irengale" means, "Though I have been begging you, you cheat." You do not even feel the slightest pity for me. That's one way, one alternative way we can interpret Bunjiai. Another alternative way, um, Bunji, as, as I said earlier, in this context, Bhagavan has used Bunji in the sense of Bunjakan, which is the usual noun to mean a cheat or fraud or rogue. But uh, Bunji is. It's very rare to use bungee in this sense. A more common uh, um, sense of uh, sense in which bungee is used, one of the meanings of bungee is a woman. Another meaning of bungee is bungee kodi, which is uh, a plant, a common rattan, which is a species of climbing palm. Like all uh, Climbing plants, common rattan depends on other plants or structures for support. So, in this context, it can be taken to be an analogy for a devotee who depends wholly upon God for support. Therefore, kenjiyam vanjiyai kunjumam irengale. If we rearrange the word, we can take it as vanjiyai uh, kenjiyam. Uh, that that means uh, though as a woman. I uh, I am begging. I've been begging you, um, and as a woman, because the other meaning that is, I say, uh, um, bungee can mean a woman. It can also mean uh, this uh, common rattan, this climbing plant. So uh, we can we can take the the meaning of we can if we change the order of words to bungee i kengium, the the sentence then reads bungee i kengium kunjomomiringale. That that means, though as a woman, and implies though as a woman who am like a tender climbing plant, depending wholly on you for support, I have been begging you. You do not uh, feel even the slightest pity for me. Um, so these are, these are just slight variations in interpretation, but, but essentially the, the the sense is the same. However, we take bungee. So whether we take bungee to mean being a cheat, or you cheat, or as a woman who who am like a tender uh, climbing plant, depending wholly on you for support, whichever way we take it, this sentence is a nindastuti. A nindastuti means it's an abusive, vilifying, rebuking praise or adoration. That is, it's a praise in the form of, uh, or an adoration in the form of, of scolding. That is, the devotee takes so much liberty with God to to scold, uh, to even rebuke God for being so, so negligent. So, Bhagavan is rebuking Aranacha for his uh, seeming hard-heartedness and indifference. So, there, there were similar um, Ninda Stutis in verses 4 to 6, and also in verses 9 to 12, and also in other verses, later verses that we'll come across later. Um, so it's quite it's quite common in devotional poetry 
for the devotee to scold uh, Arunachala. And in the case of Arunachala Aksharamlai, Bhagavan is taking the, the most familiar barber of all. That is, he's familiar barber means the barber in, sen in the sense he's claiming the greatest familiarity with, uh, with Arunachala, with God. That is, he is taking Arunachala to be the bridegroom, and he is the, the, the bride, the young girl. So the, that very intimate bond is there between them. So um, just like a, a wife has, uh, can take liberties to scold her husband, or uh, uh, in this case, the Bhagavan is still praying for the, the consu consummation of their union, to, bring the, to make them wholly one. That's what Bhagavan is praying for here. He's taking, that is, of course, Bhagavan was already wholly one with Arunachala, but he's singing this from the perspective of a very mature devotee who is still not quite uh, uh, merged with Arunachala. So that's the barber in which Bhagavan is singing. So he takes all liberties in scolding Arunachala, abusing Arunachala. Um, uh, so that's the spirit in which this uh, many of the other verses are sung. Um, so to get to, to fully understand this verse where he's singing, though I am piteously begging you, um, uh, we, we, it, it's helpful to go back and review some of the verses till now. In the second verse, Arohusan Darumbol Ahamumni Yomot. He's praying to Arunachala, may you and I be completely non-different, like Arahu and Sundaram. Like Arahu is a Tamil word for beauty, Sundaram is a Sanskrit word for beauty. Arahu is Bhagavan, the name of Bhagavan's mother, Sundaram is the name of uh, his father. So that's the first prayer, the verse two, he's praying to... Po in verse 1, he said, you annihilate the egos of those who think of you. So that, there Bhagavan clearly indicates what is the goal of this Aksharamlai. What is he praying for here? He's praying only for the annihilation of ego. And when ego is annihilated, then we and Arunachala are completely non-different, like Arahu and Sundram. Arahu and Sundram are two words with the same meaning. So just like them, in their meaning, in their substance, Arahu and Sundaram are one, uh, completely non-different. Um, so Bhagavan is praying for that, for that state of absolute oneness, one only without a second. That is the goal of Akshram, right? And to achieve that, ego is to be annihilated. Without the annihilation, ego is what makes us, we are always one with Arunachala, but so long as we rise as ego, we seemingly separate ourselves. We seemingly stand as something separate. So for in order to attain that eternal union with Arunachala, the annihilation is, of ego is necessary. So Bhagavan has already indicated that in the first two verses. Then in the third verse, he begins to tell his story. So it's from here onwards that I want to go through each of the verses. Then we could understand the full force of this, um, this first word of the verse, Kenjium, though I'm begging you. That is in verse 3, he sang, That means, uh, the literal meaning is, 
uh, Arunachala, entering the mind, that word aham can mean mind, it can also mean heart, or it can, sorry, it can mean mind and it can also mean home, and it can also mean heart. So it's, uh, um, this is the beauty in Tamil, the same word can be used in so many different senses. So Arunachala, aham buhundu, that means entering the mind, itu, uh, uh, carrying away, un ahaguhe sireai, uh, I'm a bit to do. Keeping captive in the cave of your heart, enkol, is what? Uh, that the implication is, is what a wonder. So the, the implication of this verse is entering my mind or home, forcibly carrying me away, dragging me out or attracting me to yourself. You have been keeping me captive in the cave of your heart. What a wonder of your grace this is. So Aaron, Bhagavan was uh, was there in Madurai. Arunacha forcibly entered his heart and uh, entered his mind and pulled him uh, towards him and kept him a prisoner in the cave of his heart. That means on the physical level, Bhagavan was brought to Tiruvannamalai and never allowed to leave again. So that's on the physical level. But on the deeper spiritual level, Arunacha kept Bhagavan ever a prisoner in his heart. Um, so that's the here. This is where Bhagavan begins to tell the, his his story, as it were, but the inner story, not of course, not just not the outer story of his life, the inner story. So, having stolen the heart of his devotee and thereby abducted her from her former home in the, this world, that is, as I said, aham can mean mind; it can also mean home. And the, the implication here, his his home. Former home was the world, but Arunacha has now abducted him from her former home in the world. Um, so, having stolen her heart and uh, abducting, uh, abducted her from her previous home, Arunacha should not uh, cheat her now by neglecting, abandoning, or rejecting her. So, in the next verse, namely verse four. Bhagavan already he begins scolding here. He begins rebuking Arunachala here. Um, in verse four, uh, she pleads with him. Um, means for whom for whom did you take charge of me? For whom did, that implies for whose sake did you uh, take charge of me or take possession of me. You, you enter my my home and you forcibly abducted me, uh, pulled me out and brought me to your home. For whose sake was this? Why did you do this? For, for whom? Ahatridil um, uh, uh, means if rejecting. That means if you reject or banish or abandon me now, Akilam Baritidam, the whole world will blame you uh <clears throat> that is the implication will blame or ridicule or revile you that is if a man uh uh abducts a, a young girl and they eloped and elopes with her and brings her to his home and then if he doesn't um if he doesn't then uh consummate the union with her he's just he's cheating her because he raises the hope in her heart 
and then he uh, he just keeps her prisoner in the cave of his heart without um without uh, showing any uh further care or concern for her that is a bungee that is bungee uh, you cheat you rogue why why have you done this to me this is the spirit with which bhagavan is singing in this verse so then in verse 5 uh, he continued uh, or she continued but he's bhagavan is from the perspective of a, a young girl he's uh, singing this so if Arunachal is to escape such blame, that is the blame of uh, of rejecting or banishing or abandoning her, he should unite her with himself in eternal oneness so that neither can ever leave the other. As she beseeches his, him, as she beseeches him in verse 5, if Paritapu escape this blame, uh, why did you make me think of you? That is, as soon as Arunachal makes us think of him, we are captured by him. So if you if you had no intention to finish the task, why did you make but uh, make me think of you? And now uh, you, you leaving me, you're not finishing the job you started, you're leaving me in this piteous condition. I can't go back to the world because the world will not uh, once I've once I've eloped from my parents' home with you. The world, the, my parents' home, the world is not going to welcome me back again. Um, so I can't go back. And I, but I'm staying here with you. But you're not, uh, you're, you're, you're neglecting me like this. This it, is it, the, the barber. So, if um, paritapu uh, escape this blame, uh, why did you make me think of you? Ini ya biduva. Um, now who will leave? It literally means, what it implies is, now or henceforth, uh, who will or can leave or let go? In other words, you cannot leave or let go of me, and I cannot leave or let go of you. So we are now, we are now stuck together. So finish the task you've started. Uh, finish me off. That is the, the implication. If he does you not unite her with himself in eternally inseparable oneness, will such heartlessness befit his grace, which is so much greater than even the love of a mother for her newborn child? Therefore, in the next verse, verse 6, she rebukes him. Uh, that, that means Arunachala, you who bestow Arul. Arul means kindness, love, grace, compassion, solicitude. Um, you who bestow uh, Arul greater than the mother who gave birth, that greater than one's very own biological mother, you, get, you bestow greater compassion. But is this your compassion? Is this your grace? Is this Iduvo Unadaro? Is this all your grace? If you're leaving me like this without finishing the task, is this all your grace amounts to? Raising my hopes and then disappointing me, keeping me waiting, not listening to my pleas? Is this all your grace? He's, again, this is again this is Nindastuti. He's rebuking Arunachala. Um, and in subsequent verses, she continues to pray to him in so many ways, but all with the underli same underlying implication that he should uh, annihilate her as ego, thereby making her eternally one with himself. 
in verse 7, she acknowledges that Arunachala is not entirely to blame for her present condition, because she's still cheating him by allowing her mind to run back to the world from which he had rescued her. But her mind runs out in this manner because uh, such is its nature. So it is his responsibility to sit firmly upon it so that it does not do so. So in verse 7 he says, Uneye matri oda dulatinmel irupai arunachala. That means arunachala, may you be or may you be seated uh, firmly on uh, my mind so that it does not run deceiving you. That is, so that the mind doesn't run out towards the world deceiving or cheating on you like a promiscuous wife. You have to sit firmly upon it. That is, it is the nature of the mind to, to always run outwards under the sway of its Vishaya Vastanas. I'm powerless to, to stop this. It's, it's your responsibility. You have you abducted me, you brought me here, so it's for you to sit firmly upon my mind and thereby prevent it from running out towards the world. That is the implication. And the nature of her mind is to run out outwards and roam about the world in search of happiness because he has not yet revealed himself to her in her, in her heart in the fullness of his real nature, which is the infinite and eternal beauty of pure happiness and love. So in verse 8, she begs him, so that seeing or looking at you uninterruptedly, the mind, which by nature roams about the world, subsides, show your beauty. That is, if, we, if Arunacha once shows his true beauty to us, our mind will no longer, uh, uh, will, will never again run out towards the world. We run out towards the world because we feel we are lacking something, we are lacking happiness. Why are we lacking happiness? Because we, our real nature is infinite happiness. But having risen as ego, we have seemingly separated ourselves from the infinite happiness that we actually are. So as ego, we are always dissatisfied because we, we always lack, we always seem to lack the infinite happiness that we actually are. So since the happiness seems to be lacking in ourselves, we seek it outside ourselves. So it is the very nature of the mind to go outwards in search of happiness. If the mind is to turn back within, it needs to be convinced that the, the happiness it is always seeking doesn't lie outside, it lies within. So the, the beauty that Bhagavan is referring to here when he says, show your beauty, that means show the beauty of your real nature, the infinite beauty uh, which is unlimited, unalloyed, and unceasing happiness. That is uh, what he implies in verse 8. Um, <clears throat> unable to uh, bear her separation from him any longer, in verse 9, she again rebukes him, questioning his manliness. Here, manliness implies his grace, uh, and challenging him to prove it by destroying her. Destroying her means destroying her seemingly separate existence as ego immediately. Ipodu, Bhagavan says, destroying me now, uh, here and now. 
thereby uniting her with himself in, in ever-inseparable oneness. So what he says in verse 9 is, what he sings in verse 9 is, uh, means destroying me. Ipodu means now. Uh, so, uh, um, uh, if not uniting with me, if not uh, now, immediately uniting with me, destroying me, Iduvo Anmai is this manliness. So he's he's she she's rebuking Arunacha here. What sort of a man are you? If you don't finish the task you've started, if you don't unite with me here and now, destroying me, is this your manliness? Um, Murugana, uh, who's, uh, Murugana very much likes this, uh, this bridal uh, barber, so he emphasizes it in many ways. So here, Murugana interprets uh, destroying me as destroying my virginity. In other words, destroying my separate virginity here implies destroying my separate existence as ego. I think actually he says my my ahankara kanime or something like that. That my my ego virginity. That is, he's comparing uh, our separate existence as ego to virginity. So um, it, it is the duty of the husband to. To unite her with himself, destroying her virginity. In other words, making that the the implication is making making her one with himself. Her separate existence needs to be destroyed. So Murugana compares the separate our separate existence as ego to the virginity of a young girl. So it, it, it's the duty of our natural to destroy that. If he doesn't do so, is this your manliness? Anme means manliness, but it implies here your grace. What sort of grace is it if you bring me here and then don't destroy me? Um, so all these verses, Bhagavan is constantly pleading with Arunachala in so many ways and often rebuking Arunachala for his uh, seeming uh, indifference to her. Since Arunachala seems to remain unmoved by her urgent pleas, her mind continues to be dragged out towards the world by her Vishaya-vasanas. Vishaya-vasanas means the inclinations to seek happiness in Vishayas, objects or phenomena. So she continues to rebuke him in verse 10. Uh, in verse 10 she says, she sings, Einindoruhum enepirarirka iduvunakaraho Arunachala. That means, in Indo Urukum, why this sleep? Ene Pira Iruka. Iruka means dragging, Pira means others. When, when, uh, uh, why this sleep when others are dragging me? Idu Unaku Araho. If this, uh, is this, uh, Beauty for you, it literally means. That means, is it is it befitting you? Is it becoming you? That is the the implication of this verse is Arunachalo, why this pretended sleep, seeing what is happening to me, but remaining unconcerned as if you did not see it, like one who is asleep, when others who have no right over me, namely Vishaya Vasanas, 
which raises likes, dislikes, desires, fears, and so on, are dragging, attracting, or luring me outwards, away from you, my rightful Lord. Is this beauty befitting or becoming for you? Uh, so in so many ways, she rebukes him. In the same way, in verse 11, she further rebukes him for his seeming indifference to her uh, plight and desperate need for his help and protection and for his consequent neglect of her when she needs him most. What, what she says, sings in verse 5 is, I'm bula kalva ahatilne pohumbo dahatilne ileo aranachala. That means, uh, Arunachala, when the five sense thieves enter the heart, are you not in the heart? That, <clears throat> that is, Arunachala is ever there in the heart. So when, when the, the husband is sleeping, at, at, well, when the husband is at home, how can thieves enter and steal away uh, the, the, the young girl? To see, if he's... Um, uh, if, if he's really present in her heart, he should know the entrance of these thieves, and he should he should protect her from them. The, these Aimbulakalva, the five sense thieves, this is a uh, this indirectly implies the Vishayabhasanas, which are what uh, draw our attention out to seek the happiness in the Vishayas, in the external objects. So how could she be in such a desperate situation, unable to resist the powerful pull of her Vishayavasanas, which have entered her heart like thieves to steal her attention away from him, if he did not permit it, turning a blind eye to whatever is happening to her? Since he is unique and peerless in every respect, could there be any power greater than him that could prevent him from protecting her by making her one with himself. Indeed, since he is the one and only existing reality, who else could enter her heart in the guise of those thieves? Therefore, in verse 12, she accuses him, saying this is all his trick or deception. Oruvana munne oliteva baruva unsu dei darunachala. Arunachala, hiding from you, who are, the, who are the one, that implies the, the only one who actually exists, who can come into my heart? This, the entry of the five sense thieves, is only, your, uh, is only or is certainly your trick. Um, so he put, she's putting the full blame on Aranachala. Um, but then in the next verse, she... she, um, she she takes a slightly different thing. She begins to reflect to herself, who is she to question him? Since he's the only one, if he chooses to trick and deceive her in this manner, he alone can know why he does so. Who is she to understand him and his ways? Since he is Brahman, the ultimate reality, the only thing that actually exists, the one real substance denoted by the sacred syllable Om, for him, there is nothing that is equal, similar, or superior, so no one other than himself can know him or understand him, as she sings in the next verse, verse 13. Onkara porul opoya viloi unea areva arunachala. That means arunachala, substance of omkara, the sacred syllable om. 
um, substance here means the, the reality or import or what the referent of that of omkara, what om actually refers to. Opu wievu illoi, you for whom there is not equal or superior, that is, for you there is nothing that is equal or similar and nothing that is superior. Uneya ariba, who can who can know you? That implies other than yourself, who can know you? Um, that is, so long as we rem if we want to know our natural, if we want to understand our naturalist way, only thing, so long as we remain separate, we cannot understand him. If we want to understand him, since he alone can know himself, to know him, we must become him. It's only by being him that we being him that we can know him, as Bhagavan so often emphasized. Um, in verse 26 of Upadeshundia, for example, he says, Tanai iritale tanai aridalam. Being oneself alone is knowing oneself. So to know Arunachala, we need to be Arunachala, because Arunachala is our own real nature. We cannot know him so long as we seem to be separate from him. That's why he, Bhagavan is constantly praying for the annihilation of ego. Because then only we can be one, we, we can be him, we can be one with him. Since he cannot be known by anyone other than himself, we can know him only by being him. And to be him, we must give ourselves wholly to him by subsiding back within, dissolving in him the source from which we have risen, the womb from which we were born as ego. However, since we are powerless without him, even surrendering ourselves to him is possible only by his grace. So we can surrender ourselves to him, handing over complete charge and care of ourselves to him, only to the extent to which he pulls us back within and thereby takes charge of us as his very own. Therefore, in verse 14, she declares her complete dependence on him, saying that it is his duty to take charge of her, bestowing his grace upon her like a mother who showers her love and care upon her own child. So what, what uh, she sings in verse 14 is, Aupol enakun arole tandene aluva dungadan aranachala. That means aranachala, like a mother, giving me your grace, taking charge of me is your duty. That is, it's the duty of a mother to to shower her her grace, her love, her kindness, compassion on her child, and to make that uh, to take charge of that child. That is to do everything for that child that the child needs. Taking charge means it has two implications. One is uh, that the verb in Tamil is uh, aluvadu. That implies both taking care of and taking control of. That is, the, the mother, if she really cares for her child, she also needs to control her child. If her child is um, uh, going somewhere dangerous, going too near the fire or something, it's the duty of the mother to take charge of a child and not allow the child to go there. So it's your, uh, your duty is to shower your grace on me and to take complete charge of me, take complete control of me, take complete care of me. That is, Aluvadu is the 
flip side we can say of surrender we have to hand over when we surrender we are handing over charge of ourselves to him it's for him to take charge of us so Oliver do means he's taking charge of us and that's his duty Bhagavan says and then he goes on in the next verse uh, 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 there's a continuity if we see closely there's a continuity between all these verses so since he is the eye to the eye, eye, eye means EYE, the organ of sight. Since he is the eye to the eye, meaning that he is the one original and only real awareness, which is the light that shines within the mind as its own reality I am, illumining it and thereby enabling it to see or know all other things. That is, when he says Arunacha is the eye to the eye, He's the, the real awareness shining in the heart as I am, which is what lends light to the mind eye, the, uh, the eye through which we see this world. Not the physical eye he's talking about. He, uh, eye is a metaphor for the mind, because it's through the, the, the five senses are, are, are jada. They, 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 they cannot know anything without the mind shining through them. Um, and the mind cannot uh, shine without the original light of pure awareness. So, since he is the eye to the eye, meaning that he is the one original and only real awareness, which is the light that shines within the mind as its own reality, I am, illumining it and thereby enabling it to see or know all other things. And since he sees without eyes, meaning that he sees himself, the one reality of all things, without the need for any mind to see the appearance of anything, he cannot be seen or known as he actually is by anything other than himself. Therefore, we can see him as he actually is only when he sees us in such a way that we are thereby enabled to see ourselves as he sees us, namely as himself alone. As she implies by praying in verse 15, Kannaku kannai kanindri kanunai kanu arunachala. That means, Arunachala, who can see you who, being the eye to the eye, sees without eyes? See. That is, but what he means by see is, you see me so that I may see you. So the implication of this verse is, Arunachala, who can, by means of what I, see you who, being the eye to the eye, the real awareness that illumines the semi-awareness called mind, just as the sun illumines the moon, sees you, you who sees without eyes, uh, that is, who sees the reality of everything without seeing the, uh, the appearance of anything. See me so that I may see you by seeing myself as you see me. Um, since she recognizes that she cannot surrender herself to him or see him as he actually is without his grace, in verse 16, she prays to him to attract her to himself and thereby to unite her eternally with his real nature, illustrating her complete dependence on him by comparing herself to a piece of iron which is wholly dependent on a magnet to attract it to itself and thereby unite it with itself, bestowing upon it 
its own uh, magnetic nature so that it remains forever one with itself. What he sings in verse 16 is, Kantami rumbupol kavandene vidamal kalandeno dirupai arunachala. That means arunachala, like a magnet iron, um, uh, uh, forcibly seizing me, uniting without leaving, may you, may you be with me. That's a literal meaning. What it implies is Arunachala, like a magnet grasping iron by its natural power of attraction, forcibly seizing, grasping, captivating or attracting me by the captivating power of your grace, uniting me with yourself without ever leaving me. Um, may you and I be eternally, uh, may, may, may you be eternally one with me. Um, that is when she, when he sings uh, "Enodu irupai," may you be be with me. That implies be be one with me, eternally one with me. Since she wants nothing but to give herself wholly to him, and thereby be made by him eternally one with himself, and since she knows that this is possible only by his infinitely abundant grace, which is his swarupa, his own very nature. In verse 17, she prays for nothing other than his grace, begging him, Giri Yuruvahie Kirupe Kadale Kripe Arunachala. That literally means Arunachala, ocean of grace, which is the form of a hill. Being abundantly gracious, may you bestow grace. What that, what that implies is Arunachala, who shine in the heart as the infinite ocean of grace or compassion, which is what is seen outside as the form of this great hill, being abundantly or intensely uh, gracious or compassionate, may you bestow grace upon me in whatever way you wish, knowing it to be what is best for me, and may you thereby annihilate me, devouring me completely in the infinite light of your grace. Since she is painfully aware of her own lowness and unfitness to be united with him, the one supreme and all-pervading reality, but since at the same time she knows that even her own lowness and unfitness can never be an obstacle to his grace, because he can destroy her and constant, consequently her lowness in an instant, making them completely non-existent, in verse 18 she humbly begs him, that literally means Arunachala, gem of light which shines below, above, and everywhere, annihilate my, my lowness. Here, when he says, uh, gem of light which shines below, above, and everywhere, uh, below, above, and everywhere are metaphors for. Whatever be our state of mind, whether in a low state of mind or in a very elevated state of mind, in all states of mind, he is the gem of light that is ever shining uh, as, as pure awareness in the heart of each and every one of us. Uh, pure awareness means that uh, the, the fundamental awareness of our own being, I am. He's always shining as that. And he's the gem of light. The light here means the light of pure awareness. And, and he he talks about uh, uh, he describes that light of pure awareness as the gem of light because it's infinitely precious. Um, 
So the implication of this verse is, Arunachala, gem of light, the infinitely precious light of pure awareness, I am, but shines be below, above, and everywhere. That is, but shines within me at all times and in all states, whether my mind is in a low state of impurity and immaturity or an elevated state of purity and maturity. By drawing my mind inwards to see you as you actually are, annihilate my baseness. Um, my, my baseness here, my lowness or baseness here implies the darkness of my self-ignorance, which is what rises as ego, the false awareness I am this body. Since the lowness or baseness she refers to here is ego together with all its Vishaya Vasanas, and since the role and responsibility of Guru, who shines in the form of Arunachala, is to eradicate these defects entirely and thereby take complete charge of his devotees, she prays to him in verse 19. Hukramutraritane gunamai panital guru vuru arunachala. Arunachala, who shine as the form of guru, eradicating defects completely, making me as virtue take charge. What that implies is Arunachala, who shines in the form of guru, uh, eradicating, removing, or cutting off all my defects completely. When he says completely, kutra mutru, um, uh, what that implies is defects there, he refers to the Vishaya Vasanas. But to, in order to, to uh, eradicate all the Vishaya Vasanas, it's necessary to eradicate them along with their root, namely ego. Only when ego is destroyed, Abhavasana is completely destroyed. Otherwise, so long as there's ego, there will be vasanas inevitably, because having the share of vasanas is the very nature of ego. Um, the vasanas are not ego, but it's the nature of ego to have vasanas, to have those inclinations. So, um, destroying my defects completely implies destroying all my vishaya vasanas along with ego, their root. Um, and making me as one endowed with every guna. Guna means virtue or good quality, especially sadguna, the ultimate virtue of being of just being as I actually am without ever rising as ego, even to the slightest extent. Uh, take charge. When he says al, al means take charge. As I explained earlier, take charge means both take control of me and take care of me. To take full charge of me, uh, take charge of me as your very own, so that I may never again fall prey to the evil demon ego and its horde of Vishaya Vasanas, is the implication. Until ego is uh, eradicated completely, its Vishaya Vasanas will remain to a greater or lesser extent, so it will always be susceptible to coming under their sway thereby falling prey to the cruel snares of worldly attractions, which seem to offer so much but deliver so little, uh, besides disappointment and anguish. So in verse 20, she begs him to graciously unite her with himself in order to protect her eternally from ever again becoming ensnared in the cruelty of such worldly attractions. Uh, uh, the meaning of verse 20, this is the verse we talked about last time, um, Arunachala, so as not to become ensnared in the cruelty of those with sharp sword eyes, 
being intensely compassionate, be gracious uniting me. That implies Arunachya, so as not to allow me to become ensnared in the cruelty of those with alluring eyes, but pierce one's heart like a sharp sword, being intensely or abundantly uh, compassionate, be gracious by uniting me with yourself. It was he, that it was Arunachal who first raised hope of salvation in her heart by entering her former home, the mind, and drawing her back within towards his home, the heart. And since then she had been piteously begging him in so many ways to complete the task he began by immediately annihilating her completely, thereby uniting her forever with himself. In spite of all her heart-melting prayers, if he still does not take pity on her by making her eternally one with himself, she has every right to call him bungee, a cheat, fraud, or deceiver. How can it be right for him to cheat her by ignoring all her piteous pleadings in such a heartless and uncaring manner? Therefore, in this verse, she prays to him once again, Tenjiam bungee kunjama miringale, anjalandreyarul arunachala. Arunachala, Though I have been begging you so piteously that it would melt even a stone, being a cheat, fraud, or deceiver, you remain unmoved without feeling or showing even the slightest pity for me. At least now, be gracious, saying, fear not. Um, the, the, the last sentence, be gracious, saying, fear not, well, the first word of that sentence is undue, which is a verb that means to fear. And being the root of this verb, it's used here as an imperative. And al is a negative participle. So anjual, which is in poetry is coalesced as anjal, uh, means fear not. Endre is an intensified form of the quotative participle endru. And in this context, it means uh, saying as well as as well as serving the same function, but enclosing the preceding word or words in inverted commas would serve in English. Arul is both a, a verb that means to be gracious and to give graciously, and a or to give graciously, and a noun that means grace. But in this context, it's used as a verb in the imperative sense of be gracious. Therefore, Anjal and Arul is a prayer for reassurance that means be gracious, saying or assuring me, fear not. That is, even if for some reason best known to himself, Arunachal does not answer all her prayers immediately by immediately annihilating her separate existence as ego or jiva, thereby making her eternally one with himself, rather than continuing to seem completely indifferent to her plight, and thereby, um, and therefore, unmoved by all her prayers, he should at least be gracious enough to say, "Fear not," thereby uh, reassuring her that he does indeed care for her and will certainly annihilate her in due course, whenever he sees fit to do so. So, regarding what does she uh, want him to say, "Fear not"? What is it that she now fears? and from the fear of which she beseeches him to protect her. All this time, what she has been fearing above all else is coming under the powerful sway of her Vishaya Vasanas, 
which like thieves are constantly attempting to drag her mind out towards the world, thereby in effect separating her from him, her rightful lord and master, who shines eternally in her heart as Atmaswarupa, the real nature of both himself and herself. The cruelty of these Vishayabhasanas, which are what he referred to in verse 11 as Aimbula Kalva, the five sense thieves, are what she has been praying to him uh, praying to him to protect her from in so many ways, all these in so many of these verses. So in this verse, she prays to him at least to say, fear not, thereby reassuring her but he will certainly protect her from ever again becoming ensnared in their cruelty by destroying them completely along with their root, namely herself as ego. But when she had been piteously begging him in so many ways, why does he seem to remain unmoved, showing not even the least pity for her, like a heartless cheat who has deceived a young girl, taking advantage of her by seemingly offering her his love, but then turning away from her and paying no heed to her heart-melting pleas? As she says in the next verse, he is renowned for giving unasked. That is in the next verse, Bhagavan says, Kaila Dalikum Kaila Dalikum Um Kedil Puhare Kedu Sayadaralaranachala. That means um be gracious uh, uh, so uh, uh, by not tarnishing your uh, your your uh, renown, your fame of giving unasked. That is the very nature of Aranachala is to give unasked. So uh, when he's renowned for giving unasked, why in her case is he not giving anything even when asked in such a desperate, anguished and heart-melting manner? As Bhagavan taught us, bhakti is the mother of jnana, meaning that love is the mother of true knowledge, namely awareness of ourselves as we actually, actually are, because only when our stone-like heart melts and dissolves in all-consuming love for him, our own real nature, will we, be finally, will we finally be freed from desire for anything other than him and therefore be willing to surrender ourselves entirely to him. Until we are thereby willing to give ourselves entirely to him without even the slightest reservation or hesitation, he will not force himself upon us. So his grace works deep within our heart by steadily arousing and nurturing such love in us until we are consumed by it entirely. Therefore, though he outwardly seems to be unmoved by the intense yearning and heart-melting prayers of his devotee, his seeming indifference to her is actually one of the means by which he is nurturing the growth of the requisite love in her heart. The more desperately she pleads with him, the more pure love in the form of satvasana, inclination to cling to her own being and thereby just be as she actually is, which is the true mark of his grace, will surge forth from deep within her, welling up in her heart and thereby cleansing it of all its residual impurities in the form of her vishayabhasanas. As Murugana points out, this is what is known in Tamil as Marakarane, a term that literally means heroic, warlike, hostile, angry, violent, murderous, or destructive grace. 
implying grace that is harsh but purifying, waging war on and annihilating all the impurities in the heart of a devotee. Marakarane is opposed to Arakarane. Arakarane literally means righteous grace or implying kind or gentle grace. That is, Arunachala, who is the infinite ocean of grace, will not stop at anything in his single-minded mission to save his devotee. So he will use both harsh and gentle measures, whichever is necessary and most effective at each given moment, to achieve his aim of purifying her heart and making her wholeheartedly willing to surrender herself entirely to him, allowing him thereby to devour her completely, thus making her eternally one with himself. Om Namo Bhagavate Sri Arunachala Ramanaya